All right, tell me what y'all been gleaning as you've been going through the Word. We're up to what, chapter 21? We are about to wrap up our time. Uh, just a touch. Chapter 20. Chapter 20. Starting around verse 27. Mm-hmm. For the Sadducees that have denied the resurrection, I find it odd that they bring up the idea about the resurrection to me. Yeah, that is. And the, the, the reason they bring it up they wanted to reveal to him that it made no sense. That the resurrection makes no sense to them. And one of the reasons it makes no sense, how would this play out if God told his people, if a brother died and the other brother had to take his wife, and then that one died, and you have seven brothers who get to the last one, well, if there is a resurrection, whose wife will she be? when they're resurrected. They, they, thought they, had a they thought they had a way of like, they was like, look, what God said about that and what people proclaim about the resurrection, the two don't match. We don't believe in the resurrection. We believe that you're to take the wife of a, of a brother who dies. We believe that. We believe what God says to do there. But we don't believe in the resurrection, and this is one of the reasons why we don't believe in the resurrection, because it won't make any sense after, uh, let's say she lived with the first husband for five years, the second husband for five years, the third husband for ten years, the fourth husband for two years, or the, the fifth husband for fifteen years. I mean... They've all had equal amount of time and, and could have grown in affection, uh, affection and love for one another. Whose wife would she be in the resurrection? It was like, you know there ain't no resurrection because this wouldn't work. Well, what did Jesus turn around and say? And the other gospels tell us where he says, um, number one, you do not know the scriptures. And number two, you don't know the power of God. And then he goes on to say that in heaven, well, let's just read it. Jesus said, verse number 34, The sons of this age, that would be of this world, this times, they are given in marriage. But those who are counted worthy, not based on their merits, we've got to keep that in mind, right? That we are counted worthy based on the merit of putting faith in God, putting faith in the Lord. So those who are counted worthy to attain that age, that would be the age to come, the resurrection from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. And that's a challenge too. You think about Janet and Greg, y'all been married for what? Working on 40 years now. Stephen and I have been married 31 years. Mama Rob, you and Mr. Louie were married how long? For a long time. Fifty-eight. So you think about that. You and Bill were married for twenty-three. You and Miss Pat, thirty-three. Seven. I've talked about that before. It's like, oh, that's hard to fathom that in heaven we're not going to be 
marry. We won't be in the same, how, how does that work? Well, we don't know how that's going to work, honestly. No. We don't. We could only take what God gives us. And this is important. It's going to roll over into something else that he teaches. We've got to keep in mind logic. We never want our logic to compromise our loyalty to the Lord. It's just important. When you, when you don't have a word from God, you operate out of, uh, out of logic. But when you heard from God on a thing, even when logic seems to make more sense, you stick with what you heard from God and not what is logical. Y'all follow what I'm saying there? Because you, you, you operate with the insight and logic you have until unless you have something that supersedes that and what supersedes that is what God says because what God says may not seem logical but our loyalty is unto him and we never want to compromise our loyalty to him for logic nor common sense common sense you don't want common sense to nullify the clarity of Jesus because if you're not careful it will it can at times and this is one of those cases that logically this is hard for us to process, but our loyalty to what he says overrides that logic and says we're just going to submit that to him. We're going to be in a whole other state. Matter of fact, Isaiah spoke of it. If I'm not mistaken, that which was before will never come to mind. And he says that. Remember you reading that? That was toward the end of Isaiah. That which was before will never be brought to mind. So we don't know how all this is going to play out. It's out of our control. We, we, can't, we can't make a difference in any of that. The main objective is, is simply entrusting ourselves to him what we know now and, and let him work those things out. I believe he's got all that figured out and it's going to be great. It's obvious that it will be whatever it is. And the reward more than anything will be him. You know, uh, he will be our reward. We are his reward in that, his treasure. But he says that they are neither married nor given in marriage, nor can they die anymore. They are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. Verse 37, But even Moses showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised when he called the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but he is the God of the living, and all live to him. All things are to him, through him, and for him. And, and what a blessing, amen? Because this, this stuff is way out of our league on what's yet to come. We just don't know. And we won't know, but we can trust that whatever he does and however he does it will be right, it will be just, it will be glorious, it will be great, and we will celebrate in that. Now, watch what happened. Watch how the, the, the scribes join in. Because the scribes believed in the resurrection, and the scribes then said, then some of the scribes answered and said, Teacher, you have spoken well. Now these scribes didn't submit to Jesus as a teacher. The only reason they said that is because what he said agreed with them about the resurrection. 
because they were in disagreement with you Sadducees. But notice what Jesus does. Jesus wanted to make sure everybody there understood he in no wise were connected with nor in agreement with these scribes. Notice the response. But after that, they dared not ask him a question anymore. Verse 41, connect it back to what verse 39 says. And Jesus said to them, how can they say that the Christ is the son of David? Now David himself said in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore David calls him Lord. How is he then his son? How does that work? If he's David's Lord, but he's David's son, which Jesus was both David's Lord and considered to be David's son. See, they didn't have an answer for that. That's where they were trying to discredit him. And then he says these words, verse 45, which takes us back to verse 39. Then in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of who? Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplace, the best seats in the synagogues, and the, bless, the best places at the feast, who devour widows' houses, and for pretense, for a play, for a show, make long prayers, these receive a greater condemnation. Notice what Jesus just did. When Jesus was speaking to the Sadducees about the resurrection, who didn't believe in the resurrection, who Jesus just told them that you don't know the power of God nor the Scriptures, that nobody's going to be given in marriage, people won't be married in heaven, and that God is the God of the living, not the dead. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are living. They're not dead. So he, he corrected their means to try to catch him in proving that there was not a resurrection. He just blew that out of the water. And when he did it, the scribe says, Man, that was a good word, teacher. Thank you for that. Now Jesus, what he wants to do is disassociate himself with these scribes who just agreed with him. He wanted to make sure all his disciples knew that even though they just commended me for what I said, I want you to know I'm not with them. And you need to be aware of them. Even though they just called me a teacher, even though they just commended me about the resurrection, I want it to be very clear you beware of them and don't align yourself with them. I'm not aligned with them. You don't align yourself with them. They can commend you on your teaching. They can pat you on the back of it. But if you don't make clear to everybody around you, people are going to say that you, you took that affirmation as being part of them. And I want you to make sure you make it clear you have no part with them. Don't pay attention to the word they say, even when they commend you for saying the right thing. Yeah. Don't line up with them. And I think that's why he said and did what he did. He wanted to make sure everybody there knew, even though they just praised him for what he said, he was not with them. He was not standing with them. No matter if they affirmed him, commend him, praised him or not, he turned around right away and said, beware of them. Yeah. They can say the right thing right now 
but they're wrong. They're wrong about me. They're going to be wrong about you. Beware of them. They will hurt you. They just using what they just said. It was not about me. It was all about themselves and what they believe about the resurrection and what the Sadducees don't believe. It had nothing to do with me. It was all about them. Just like everything else they do in life. So Jesus didn't walk away from that situation that day with a pat on the back from the, from the scribes and like, well, you know, even they stood with me on this deal right here. No, he wanted to make sure everybody knew, stay away from them cats. They're not worth anything. They'll hurt you and be careful around them. Because you see what they just did with me? They just using me or attempting to use me to elevate themselves. No different than they do everything else. Beware of them. Why? Because they elevate themselves. They want the best seats. They want the best places. They're takers. They're takers. They're takers. And they will play you and entertain you so that they can get something from you, but don't pay any attention to it. So I think that's important to note of how we dealt with that. We've all been places and situations. You watch this right now with this political scene going on in, in Washington you're going to have people who are sworn enemies against one another are going to stand with one another because they're going to be a common enemy against somebody else. But they can't stand one another either. But they'll play like they can stand one another just because they after one. They all done it to Jesus. All of them were at odds with one another, but they were willing to stand arm in arm, locked in lock, if they could just get rid of him. And that's just what people do that to you. They'll do it to me. And we need to make sure when people stand up and want to stand and as if we're doing something right, we still need to make it clear. They can say whatever they want. I'm not standing with them. We're not for this. Amen. So it's just important to, for me, that was just a, a, a thing that stood out to me. And then he goes right on in, in verse 21, when he says in, he looked up and he saw a rich man putting their gifts into the treasury. And then he saw a certain, certain poor widow putting in two mites. A mite is a shorter version of the word minute. It was the smallest, the smallest forms of currency that they had in that land in that day. And it was about two mites was worth about a quarter of a penny. Between a quarter to a half of a penny. It's, it's virtually almost nothing. But it was everything to the widow. That's all she had. Right. And she put in out of her poverty. And Jesus made note of it and said, Truly, you see this poor widow has put in more than they all. Not just, whatever, not just what that individual rich man put in. But if you took all that together and added it all up, don't amount to the, what she just put in with just a quarter of a penny, because what she put in, she put in out of her poverty in faith. She was, she was sacrificial in what she did, and it weighs eternally. It has treasures in heaven, which is much more value than the things on the earth. Now, the disciples, from there, notice what verse number 5 says. Then, as some spoke of the temple how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, he said, these things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another 
that shall not be thrown down. Logic. Even though Jesus just showed them and illustrated about the woman who took out, I don't even have any change in my pocket, a half of a penny and put it in the offering plate. When they walked out, everybody started talking about the beauty of the temple and all the other structures around there and their beauty and their majesty and the donations that it took to build this kind of stuff, the money that it took. So the disciples are using logic like we hear what you say about these half pennies that got put in, but half pennies by widows cannot build things like this. This took large amounts of donations to build. They were using logic over what? Over faith, over loyalty to Jesus. Their logic compromised their loyalty. Their logic said that small amount, minute monies cannot build things like this. Logically. Which logically they're right. But their loyalty was compromised in their logic. Like I hear what you say. But my logic is overruling what you say. Because my logic has compromised my loyalty to your word. And what did Jesus turn around and say to them? He said, you see all these buildings that took all them donations? You know what's going to happen to these buildings? They're going to what? They're going to crumble. But what that little lady put in will not be taken away. When all this is said and done and all this crumbles and falls to the ground, it will amount to nothing but dust. But that woman laid up a treasure that moth and rust can't get to. You see, logic can compromise your loyalty. Common sense can nullify the clarity that Jesus is wanting to teach us. And that's what he was doing. He was just clarifying to them that I, I know... Your mind's telling you one thing, but just trust what I'm telling you when it comes to laying up treasures in heaven. It's of much greater value than anything you can see upon this earth. And don't let your logic compromise your loyalty to what I'm teaching you. Don't let common sense nullify the clarity that I'm showing you from a heavenly perspective. And we have to then, you know, evaluate our own ways uh, when it comes to that. How oftentimes logic gets in our way. And you, you operate with what you know, that logic, unless you got another word. Unless you got a word from the Lord, then you got to throw logic out the window and walk by faith in what God gives you. Amen? Amen. He goes in then to talk about it. What do they ask? Verse 7. So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be, and what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? What? When all this is thrown down, when all this is destroyed. Then he says, Take heed that you be not deceived, for many will come. And he goes through, and he, and he just he, he gives us some, some very systematic, flow of the events that are yet to come 
when he says, But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified by that. For these things must come to pass, but the end will not come what? By and by or at once or immediately. It's not coming immediately. There's things that have to take place before they come. For an example, look back in chapter number... Look in... Let's see. Look in chapter number 19, verse number 11. Chapter 19, verse number 11. Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable. Why did he speak the parable? Because, number one, he was near Jerusalem, and we know what was the purpose of Jerusalem, what was going to happen at Jerusalem. That's where he was going to be rejected. That's where he would be misused. That's where he would die. That was the purpose of going to Jerusalem. Jesus usually stayed away from Jerusalem until it was his time, till that time came. But notice what he says, two things. Number one, he spoke it because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear what? Immediately. So he was wanting to clarify to them that the kingdom of God, he's already said, is where? In you. But the appearing of the kingdom when he would return was not going to happen immediately. They thought it would, but it wasn't going to happen. And then he explains this parable to them about this king or this nobleman, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. When did Jesus go to a uh, go to a far country to go receive a kingdom. At his death, when he died and was resurrected, and then he ascended on high, right now Jesus is gathering his kingdom up. He's making subjects of the kingdom, that people like us. That's what he's doing right now. This is what this is talking about. That's why he said when he was getting close to Jerusalem... This is the idea that he's going to go to a far country. He's going to leave this world. And when he leaves this world, he's got plans on what? Coming back to this world. He's going to return. When he receives a kingdom, he's going to return. And this is what this parable is teaching. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, do business till I come. So ten servants, each re received one minor. And what did he tell them to do until he returned? Do what? Carry out his business. What business? His business. Well, verse number 10 tells us that, right? Look in verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to... Seek and save that which is, that's the business of the king. That's his business. He says, I'm going to go to a far country. I'm going to heaven, going back to my father. You can't come where I'm going, not yet. I'm going to return. 
But while I'm there and you're waiting for my return, I'm going to give you the resources you need to go do my business of seeking and saving that which is lost. That's the business of Jesus. That's what he's doing. That, that's what he's left us here for. That's what we're to be about. Now, verse 14 says, But the citizens of where he was from, where he was living at the time, which would be here, earth, but his citizens, they what? They hated him and sent delegation after him saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. Well, that's been the difference between those who are being made subject to the kingdom and those who are going to keep doing what they wanted to do. We read over in 21, he tells us, you're going to be hated for my name's sake. Well, this is what is going on currently even today. Verse 15, and so it was when he returned, he received the kingdom. Then he commanded those servants to be brought to him and who he had given money to, and he called them together that he might know how much every man had gained by trading, by doing his business. The first one came, and he said, Master, here's your mind, and your mind has earned ten mitas. I put it to work. I did what you told me to do. I was faithful in doing that. So Jesus says, Well, well done, good and faithful servant, because you were faithful in very little. You shall have authority over ten cities. Remember, he went to go up. He went to go get a kingdom. So that kingdom that he went to get has cities over it. And now he's going to put those faithful servants in charge of those cities that he went to go get. Well, the second one comes in and said he earned five. Same way he gave him fives. Then the third one that he called, remember there was ten guys, people that he gave minus two, but he only illustrates three. He says, uh, Master, here is your mind. I kept it and put it away in a handkerchief, for I feared you because you were a steward man, and you collected what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, uh, Out of your own mouth you condemned yourself, you wicked servant. You spoke in judgment over yourself. You knew that I was an a steward man, that I would collect what I didn't deposit and reap what I didn't sow. Why then did you not put my money in a bank? Why did you not use what I gave you? Why did you not do my business? Why, was your, why did you not think about my work? Well, he dealt with him, and then what did he say about the citizens of the land that didn't want any part of him? He said, bring them all to me and have them killed. And that's what's going to happen when Jesus re returns. Those that are not his, uh, they'll, they'll be slaughtered through that. But he wanted to make sure they understood that one, Jerusalem had a purpose. That's where he would die. That's where he would, would be resurrected from. That's where he would have sent on into heaven. And the whole time he's there, he's gathering the kingdom up. And that kingdom is people. He's going to reign over those people. And that one day he will return. But he wanted them to know that the kingdom would not appear immediately. He gives us some scenarios of that time frame. You get in the 21 and that's what he's going to do. He's going to draw out a few things in verse number uh, 9 on down. He tells us about nation will arise against nation. That would be uh, like China and Japan fighting against one another. 
Kingdom against kingdom will be multiple nations with multiple nations who unite together under one name, one kingdom, and fight as allies together. Well, that's been happening for a long time. We foresee that it will continue to happen. He says you're going to hear about great earthquakes. There's going to be famines and pestilence, and there will be fearful sights and signs from heaven. But before all these things... They will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You'll be brought before kings and rulers for my namesake. We've seen that. We've seen that with the apostles, all those disciples. Before these things begin to happen, they, all of them died nearly a gruesome death or was put in some sort of prison. Uh, we've seen those things take place. Verse 13, he says, look, it's going to turn out that this is going to be an occasion for a testimony. So you need to have the right perspective of what you're going through when you go through it. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand, verse 14, or what you would answer. For I'll give you a mouth to speak wisdom in that day with the adversaries, and they're not going to be able to contradict it. Verse 16, you'll be betrayed by your parents, by your brothers, by your relatives, by your friends, and they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, which he's already said. Remember, the citizens of this world that don't follow him, don't want him to reign on them, they hate him and they hate his people. So that's a given. Verse 18, but we can remember not a hair on our head shall go without being noticed. He knows exactly what we're going through, what happens to us. Verse 19, but by your patience possess your soul, so by... Just the patience and the comfort of the Scriptures. Let it have the grip upon us so that we can do what God has set us apart to do, that we can endure all these things. Verse 20, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of the vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled, which goes along with chapter 19 and verse 44. Remember when they missed that day of visitation and God says that, that He was going to destroy them because that evil generation rejected Him. He gave them a time and an opportunity, but they didn't. So they're going to be destroyed. Well, A.D. 70, the Roman Empire did exactly what He's talking about here. They come in. That's when they tore down the temple, tore down the wall, destroyed the place, annihilated everything there, killed the people. All those things happened just as Jesus said it would. He says in verse number 23, But woe to those who are pregnant, those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon the people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by who? And they will trample it until the times of the Gentiles are? We're living in those times right now. That's where we are right now. We're living in the times of the Gentiles. And that will be until the Antichrist comes on the scene. God removes that restraint, allows him to show up out of the nations. Jerusalem, the people there, start rebuilding that temple again. And he makes it a peace agreement with everybody, allows them to rebuild it, which takes a supernatural work here. Why? Because currently a mosque, a Muslim mosque, sits on that territory. 
And they won't give it up without war. But some charismatic leader, who is the Antichrist, is going to convince the world that it be okay. And the Muslims are going to yield. The Jews are going to yield. They're going to rebuild that temple. And in the half of that seven-year period, in the three-and-a-half-year mark, he's going to show up on the scene and then desecrate the temple by entering in the holies of holies. And when he does that, then that's when all the Jews will realize that he is the Antichrist and not their Messiah, and they will turn their gaze unto the Lord. And supernaturally, that's when God says he will make himself known to his people, and they will see him for who he is. And then that's that that devastating time of what is known as times of Jacob's trouble when all the world then turns on Jerusalem at that time frame. And then that will set the stage for the appearing of the kingdom when Jesus returns and reigns. That we read about in Isaiah when that time comes. Well, this is what Luke is speaking of here. And he goes through and explains all that. He just says we, we want to be, be good, good tenants before the throne and not get swayed by the age or the time that we can do what God's called us to do. What's his business? Seeking and saving that which was law. That's the business of the king. That goes back to what's our mission? To reach people for Jesus. Teach those we reach about Jesus. Equip those we're teaching to serve Jesus. And to mobilize those that we're equipping to go with Jesus so that they could reach, teach, equip, and mobilize as well. That's the business of the king. He's given us all the resources to do it for his glory. Amen? Amen. We just don't want to be found slack not doing the king's business either when we go see him or he comes and returns for us. We were talking about in Sunday school Sunday morning about the kingdom being in you compared to when the kingdom appears when it comes. You want the kingdom in you before the kingdom appears because if the kingdom ain't in you before the kingdom appears, it's too late then. So you want the kingdom in you. But you know, there's been a lot of time since then and everybody that's lived for the last 2,000 plus years, minus who are living today, everybody else has died. There's more likelihood that we're going to die and have to face the king before the king appears back on this earth. So if the kingdom is not in us, we're not going to be prepared to face the king when we have to see him in glory without the kingdom being part of us. Amen? So that's why it's important for us to uh, trust the king of the kingdom now so that the kingdom will be within us and his ways in us before we ever have to meet him face to face. And um, so that's just, that's just something that we want to help other people see. Yeah. That's just doing the business of the king. Amen? Amen. Amen. Anything else from anybody before we go? God's so good. He is good. He is good. Don't let your logic compromise your loyalty. Don't let common sense nullify the clarity of what Jesus has said. Something that really stands out to me is this. I've got to ask the question in my own personal life. Jesus sent those disciples to a certain place. And when they got there... They found the coat tied up. 
Somebody come out and asked them what they do with it and they said, the master needs it, the king needs it. Scripture emphasizes in 1932 that they found it just as Jesus said. So then I've got to ask the question in my life, am I finding life? Am I finding people? If I'm finding my life, am I finding things in this life? If I'm finding stuff, am I finding it just as Jesus said? Well, if, if I'm not, I'm actually, I, I am at the wrong place. I'm doing the wrong thing. I'm going the wrong way. Because sh- life, for me, if I'm in the right place doing what He's given me to do, I should see life just as He said it would be. Amen. And if I'm not something, there's a disconnect somewhere. And I've gone to the wrong people and the wrong place at the wrong time, and it's not what he told me it would be. He don't make a mistake. It would be obvious that I've got out of line somewhere. Amen? Amen. So we, then we've got to ask it. Are we seeing life the way Jesus said it would be? And if we're not, we've got to ask why. And if we are, we can't help but praise him. Amen? And if we can praise him for it is, we need to start praising him for what we even can't see. And ask him to get us back to the place that he's assigned us to be so we can see it as he sees it. That just the way that it is. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you. We bless you. We ask you to help us with these things. We need you at work in us. We need you at work with us. We need you to work through us. We want to give you glory and praise and just thank you for uh, revealing, manifesting, speaking life to us. Showing us. Um, things so that when we when we encounter people we can see that you've already said people would be this away circumstances would be this away events in this world are going to be this away times will be this away life is going to be this away that we're not caught off guard with it because you already told us how it was going to be and we're finding it just as you said now if we don't know it we don't know what you said. We'll never see it that way. So, Lord, help us, teach us so that we can see things the way you see it and that we can live and walk by faith. And we're going to give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Love y'all.